two, three, four. You're listening to Felony Podcast on the Startup Radio Network. The Felony Podcast explores ex-felons that have gone on to launch their own startups. We explore the ups, the downs, the behind-the-bar stories with these founders. Felony Podcast airs every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific Time. Welcome to Felony Inc. Um, today's going to be the best show ever. We have in the studio Dick Hennessy. Yes, sir. How you doing, Dick? I'm doing great. How you doing, Mark? I'm doing all right. Um, now that you're here, just like put a <laughs> smile on my face. I don't know why. <laughs> uh, so um, Dick's job or his business or whatever. Um, so first of all, um, you're a felon. Uh, yeah, I actually was a felon. Uh, my record's been expunged recently. So God, who does that? I need to do that. I, 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 it'd be too much hassle. It'd take like a year of going through all the paperwork. I don't know. Highly um, recommended. Really? Okay. I'll, I'll talk to you about that later. I'm, I don't know how to do that, but yeah. So an expanded record. So you're not even a felon. So I'm sorry. We have to go to the next guy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we need felons. Okay. I'm sorry. Um, so Dick promotes vagina. Indeed. <laughs> so, I mean, what, I mean, that's pretty cool. I mean, if you're a single guy and whatever, you're not chilling and, that's your job. I mean, I was just, I don't know, maybe I'm a little bit, it's just like, I thought it was cool. Yeah, there's definitely worse jobs. Worse jobs, yes. You got to do something you love. Yeah, exactly. So. Yeah, um, they say uh, if you do what you love, you never have to work a day in your life, right? That's right. Yeah. That's true, yeah. I feel like that, because I love my job. That's my happy place. Tattooing. Mine too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, your, your job is my happy place too, <laughs> sometimes. Uh, I love it here. I can only take it in so much, uh, but Yeah. Okay, so, uh, <clears throat> sorry, kill my throat here. You got me all flustered, Dick. So, um, do you want to tell us, let's start off with talking about, um, you know, your childhood and how, how you started getting in trouble and, you know, um, you know, let's, let's, let's get to know you a little bit. Okay, no problem. Um, so, I was born in 79 uh, uh, in Hood River, Oregon. And uh, when I was three years old, my parents moved to southwest Portland. And then from there, I kind of went to school through the uh, school system in Beaverton, Southwest Portland. I graduated from Tiger High in 97. <clears throat> from an early age, I don't know what it was, but uh, I, I just always gravitated towards kind of getting in trouble, you know, whether it was shooting cars with BB guns or lighting stuff on fire. Or Pyro, huh? Making you know, illegal fireworks out of illegal fireworks and stuff Ooh. like that. I was always kind of... Unabomber. <laughs> Mini Unabomber, okay. <laughs> uh, I was kind of gravitated towards that for some reason. I never really understood why that was. Because my parents, I mean, they were, they were both really um, supportive. Well, and they, they raised middle me. class, yeah, well-adjusted. Yeah. I mean, I grew up in the suburbs in Beaverton. Like, it was a beautiful childhood. I mean, They're like, Nintendo what did we do wrong? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. No, I get it. I, that's yeah. the same with me. And, you know, so I, it wasn't a learned situation. It was more like... You're just a rebel. I, I don't know. Something no. in me just gravitated towards kind of, you know, stealing nudie magazines from the mall and uh, listening to to rap with rap music with, you know, explicit lyrics, stuff like that. And uh, explicit lyrics. Yeah, I just and, and my parents were really cool about, it. you know, they let me say cuss words at the house and, you know, kind of hang out with my friends and kind of do my own thing. And, um, you know, I just for some reason continued to gravitate towards that and gravitate towards that. And then uh you know, as I got older, I started trying to hang out with kind of the dangerous kids in school and stuff like that because I realized early on that these are the guys that were the most popular with the ladies and the women. So oh. it was a very you know powerful reinforcement. 
And um, good girls like, like bad boys. <laughs> exactly. And so, in retrospect, I kind of feel like that kind of kind of put me on a path to kind of reinforcing my behavior, my negative behavior. And then um, I actually. I graduated from uh, Tiger High School in 1997 and was uh, accepted into University go of Tigers. Oregon. Go Tigers. Yeah, go Tigers. <laughs> My niece graduated from there. She's a golf pro. Nice. Yes. Yeah, it's great school and, and great district. Victoria, you better not be listening. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Felons only. <laughs> but, but I graduated and uh, I was accepted to University of Oregon and I, I went down to Eugene and actually um, I went to college down there. It's my hometown. Yeah. Oh, nice. No, I wasn't in prison. <laughs> so... <laughs> And I lived down there for four years and graduated from U of O and then um, came back to Portland. But during that time, I kind of started dabbling in uh, marijuana sales at the time. Basically, I was very fortunate to be able to go to college back then, like just to have a family that could support me and send me to college. But at the time, that's about all they could do. So I was uh, put in a position where I had to uh, get my own job down there, which was perfectly fine. But... As I got a better job, I started working for the Register Guard down there, if you know what that is. I do. It's like the Oregonian, but of Eugene. Yeah. yeah. I was a district helper. Great job. Paid really good for back then. I got to sit in my car and play sports action lottery. People, still read, the, people still read the newspaper back then. Yeah, back in the, the good old days. And, uh, you know, basically everything was good except for that I had to get up at 4 in the morning on Saturday morning and Sunday morning to go to work and then drive around all day. So it kind of put a little kink in the... The exciting college lifestyle. So, so you got fired? No, I, I actually didn't get fired. Oh, okay. I, I started Good doing drugs. You. I started selling marijuana. Oh. And uh, realized that instead of making, it was like 11 or $12 an hour back then, I could be making a lot more and be on my own schedule and have fun. So Before weed was legal. Yeah, really yeah, yeah that, that was the only problem. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> it wasn't legal yet. But, uh, you know, I realized that, um, you know, I had something there and I could actually enjoy my college career and my life. And, and so we didn't. And in my mind, it was it was a victimless crime. You know, and like I didn't want to get into selling coke or drugs at all. I felt like as long as I was selling weed and going to school and passing my classes, everything was all right. So you're a criminal with morals. I appreciate that. Yeah, I have a <clears throat> heart of gold. <laughs> right on. See, I, was the, I grew up in a nice... I was taught right, but I kept gravitating towards negative right. type things, but not too much. I, I mean, I thought. But inevitably, uh, when you do stuff like that, um, you know, I, t- I remember there was one time I told myself, like, if I can just get... $10,000 and just a couple things that I want, I'll retire from selling marijuana completely. Like I'm, I'm just $10,000 back then was like $100,000. Oh, it was so much. It was <laughs> like, oh my God, like $10,000. And uh, so, I mean, I got into rhythm and I easily attained that, like really, ra- very rapidly. And then all of a sudden it's like, well, oh, wait ten, a minute. I want 10 more. Yeah. It's like, uh, you know, I could, I could probably make a lot more doing this. And, you know, nothing's happened to me yet. You know, everything's fine. So I pursued that. I graduated from U of O. I continued to pursue that. I Congratulations on graduating. What was your major? Uh, my major was sociology, minor in business administration. Um, I originally started as a business major, but then when I started seeing the math requirements, I mean, you had to do calculus and all this, and then that the school happen. of business there is, is nuts. I realized I could either enjoy my time in college or I could study and <laughs> you know, become a business Math major. is not my forte either. <laughs> no, it's, it's horrendous. I can't, I, I'm up to, I, I can't even do division really. Yeah. Um. <laughs> so basically, um, I kind of gravitated towards just having a good time. You know, again, I, I feel like this has been the common trend in my entire life where I'm doing 
kind of whatever it takes to be on that path to be with women and gravitate towards women and kind of be cool with women, you know. Right. And okay. uh, you know, in retrospect, I kind of went about it the wrong way, but I think we all want that. Yeah, yeah my we life all want to be cool with women. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, when it boils down to it from a psychological perspective, right. that was the whole reason for everything that I kind of done since my childhood. Ever since I kind of grew out of Nintendo, that was my next my next thing. I should try doing that a little more. I think I've been forgetting about that. <laughs> But, you know, I got sucked into it, and uh, I graduated. Literally. I had to do that. That's all good. I, I graduated from college, um, sociology major, minor in, uh, minor in business administration, and then I continued to take that trip down to Eugene. I had a pretty good connection then, and uh, I just was building more and more, and that's all I really knew. And um, I started getting involved in the music industry around uh, 2000, 2001, and I started having some pretty heavy connections so I was like, well, you know, I have all this uh, this marijuana money. Let me try to launder it, you know. And I was getting to that next stage Ooh. of things, yeah, and moving. And, and actually, things were coming together really nice. And then, inevitably, I got busted. You know, I got uh, pulled over one time making my rounds in Eugene. Set a vehicle matching my description. Uh, shot an old lady in the face with a pellet gun. Wow. Uh, which you were shooting cars when you were a kid. <laughs> <laughs> like they had my rap sheet of pellet guns. Uh, when I was a, but actually, I had a, a real gun on me and a concealed weapons permit at the time, and so it compounded my uh, my charges. I had because of a weapon. Yeah, I had a. But you had a concealed weapons permit. Yeah, I had a concealed that's, weapons that's permit. That scratched it out with the weed, right? No, not at all. Like, <laughs> I mean, I mean, no, but that as far as the charge goes. No, it made it worse. That's what happened. Yeah. yeah. That's <laughs> scratched out because the, the weed. You know, I only had like honestly like a half pound on me, like nothing. You know, in comparison, you know, nowadays it's a joke, even talking about marijuana being illegal. But back then it was like they made a pretty big, sizable I know. I, you know, I used to smoke when I was younger. I don't smoke anymore because, I don't know, I'm just too old. But um, if I do, I'm like looking around my shoulder. I'm like, oh, wait, it's legal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we had 30 years of illegal marijuana right. use, and now we're just kind of getting used to it being perfectly fine. Which is kind of similar to prohibition, you know, in my opinion. But um, yeah, I got uh, I got in trouble for that. I got arrested, uh, multi- uh, two felony counts, one for the marijuana possession with intent to distribute, and then uh, <clears throat> one with uh, the weapons. Firearms. I'm good. And um, it kind of made me reevaluate everything. You know, I was in a situation where uh, you know it's all I'd known for shit, four years, something like that, and uh, now I'm gonna have to get a real job. I had to bail out, um, so I was basically... Half pounds like a big bus back then. Yeah, but that's what, you know... Half it, pound of weed. It was, it, was a, it was a fraction of what I typically had, but it was enough to be a felony, and it was enough to be distribution and, um, and drug trafficking because it was in my vehicle at the time. And it was all, you know, like to this day, like getting pulled over for that reason was nonsense. They had some other information, and they had got me. And um, so I did everything my lawyer advised me to do. I got a legal job. Check myself into rehab for marijuana abuse, right? <laughs> which again sounds. Ridiculous. I used to la- I used to laugh. I used to go to like NA meetings and stuff. Someone say something. I was addicted to marijuana for one year. I'm like, I just started cracking. <laughs> I disrupted the NA thing. That's why I can't go. Yeah, I'm a clown. I let fine. these guys say their little thing. We go ahead. I'm sorry. But yeah, so uh, I was doing that, and uh, I was I was doing really good because my my goal was to limit the amount of jail time I was going to get, and you know my lawyer was just advising me get a real job, go to rehab. Explain that you were on <laughs> under the effects of marijuana at the time and you weren't thinking straight and you were a marijuana addict and then you'll, you know, the judge will have sympathy on you. And it was Lane County. Yeah, I'm very so, familiar with Lane County. Yeah. Who's your attorney? 
Uh, I have a couple different attorneys. At the time, I had an attorney named Douglas Minger and Eugene, which I don't, I, I, I do not recommend. But then, um, <laughs> I don't recommend any attorneys <laughs> in Eugene. <laughs> I agree. And uh, so I was out on, I was out on my own recognizance at the time, and I uh, actually got a job at Pizza Hut, um, delivering pizzas on Broadway, 82nd and Gleason. Oh, okay, back in Portland. Yeah, I was back in Portland. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't in Eugene anymore. I was, I mean, I would go down to Eugene for work, but I lived in Portland at the time. So um, I was delivering pizzas there, and uh, just any other day I was delivering pizzas, and I got pulled over. They dropped a secret indictment on me, and I got arrested uh, delivering pizza, actually, to a hotel right over by uh, Club 205. And um, I went to jail. That was my first time in the Justice Center ever, and I went there, and I self-bailed and was out, and I had a mandatory pizza meeting the next morning, and I thought I was going to get fired, but I didn't. And uh, so I was out on bail at that time, and I had restrictions. And then, and they were asking questions. I was like, oh, it's about something else. You know, it's not illegal drug use or anything like that. And I played it off. And, um, with Pizza Hut? Yeah. <laughs> like, that's cool. But so, yeah, I was out, you know, I was, I was employee of the month. I was like really working. Like, they, didn't want the, they didn't want that. There was a time stigma. where the thing is, when I first started working at Pizza Hut, um, you know, I got my first check. And so I was working really hard. And the first check was like something like $150 or something. Because I was getting delivery tips. And mm-hmm. that's where the money was at. But I never forget. I got this check. It was like $150, $200. And I was like, man, I make, and it took me two weeks to get that. And I was like, I make that. I had made that for years in less than one transaction, you know, and I was just like, this is crazy. But then at the same time, I was like, I'm just so happy to not be in jail. And right. like, I was like, I told myself, I'm going to get on the straight and narrow. I'm going to be the best pizza delivery driver there is. I'm going to get a girlfriend and we're going to move in together and fall in love. And then all this will blow over and my life will be perfect. I actually, there was a period of time for like a month or so. Where I was super happy delivering pizzas after dealing drugs. Right. And, I mean, when you work hard, you have, it don't care how much money. Yeah, I was like, you know, I'm just over it. You work dangerous. You work for every penny stuff. on there. Yeah. And you appreciate every penny. Exactly. And you even save your money. Like, I don't want to spend that on that. <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's right. And so uh, I was just, I was kind of getting to the groove of things. I got employee of the month. I was really trying hard. I really didn't want to go to jail. And um, it was about this, uh, about this time where I got in a situation with uh, my he was actually letting me I was letting him stay with me at the time and um, it was basically where he had gotten a little drunk and he had some psychological issues and I was put in a position where I had to defend myself and I shot him and he died and I was charged with murder I didn't know that yeah and so basically while I was fighting this case simultaneously in Lane County (laughs) Uh, you know, you can imagine just the clusterfuck of everything when I'm out on bail and I'm trying to do my best oh my and then, and I'm, I'm like, I'm, I'm focused, I'm, I'm on the track and everything's going right. And then everything just gets real, like more fucked up than you could possibly Because you weren't imagine. even supposed to have that gun, right? No, uh, I was. It oh, because the concealed permit? Basically, it hadn't been taken from me yet. It was charges pending. Okay, sure. They had taken one gun that I had with me, but I had another gun. And so, I, you know, I had two two pistols. And uh, it, at that time, I just, you know, it, it was force of habit. I always had it on me. And um, it was just, it was a very crazy situation. And I found myself, like, it was, it was essentially like a dream, you know, like a bad dream. It's, it's the closest I can kind of explain it being, you know, I'm sure you can imagine. But um, I can. <laughs> yeah. Trust so me. next thing you know, I'm in uh, Justice Center. Again, for and, murder, uh, huh? Yeah, for uh, well, basically, it was 2004. 
<laughs> and um, they take me upstairs to the sixth floor, and that's where they do the interrogation room, stuff like that. And at the time, I knew that I hadn't done anything wrong. I mean, I knew it sounded crazy or whatever, but I didn't try to run or anything like that. I was completely forthcoming. Um, when they asked to talk to me, I, uh, I said, the first thing I said was, look, I know the last thing I'm supposed to do is talk to you guys without my lawyer here, but I have absolutely nothing to hide, so I'm going to tell you everything that happened. And I was completely transparent with it because in my mind at the time, from watching TV and movies, I, I figured that they would know everything, be able to know every little detail of everything, yeah. forensics. I just thought it was an exact science, you know, which is not. But So I just, I just told them exactly what happened. I laid it out, like, word for word. And, you know, because I, I felt in my heart at the time I did nothing wrong. So you can imagine my surprise when after like the three-hour interview, two-hour interview, after they give me chips and soda and stuff like that. Ham sandwich? Yeah. No, not yet. <laughs> they were about to take me to the ham did sandwich. They, did they have a cigarette? <laughs> no, no cigarette. I didn't smoke back then. I uh, smoked weed. That was it. But I was on, in rehab for weed at the time, so I right. wasn't smoking weed. The devil's weed. Yeah, the devil's lettuce. But uh, they, you can imagine my surprise when after the interview, and I was completely forthcoming, and I was honest with them. They cuffed you up. No, not yet. They took me on the elevator downstairs to the basement of the Justice Center again, and then it's a booking. And then I asked, well, what am I being booked for? And they're like, oh, you know, I looked at the charge, murder one. And so, yeah. Gulp. <laughs> so I had to call my dad, and uh, I think he thought, like, I just had fucked up on my bail and got a DUI or something like that. And he was, you know, that was just like a joke. And I explained to him what was happening and the gravity of the situation set in. Mm. And then uh, they took me up to... Uh, 6A in the Justice Center, which is where the majority of people with murder charges and heavy felony charges were at. And um, then I started to realize the, the magnitude and the gravity of my situation. Not that I thought it was light at the time, you know, but everything just, just happened. Closes in. I hadn't, you know, I hadn't slept. It, you know, all this crazy stuff happened. I'd been awake all night. I'd done an interview. Like, it had been, it was 11 in the morning at the time I was down there. And then all of a sudden, everything just rushes in and, and the, I'm, I'm and the up door there. closed. Yeah, and then every single person in there is saying, oh, you know, Oregon doesn't have a self-defense statute. There's no self-defense law. Uh, you're going to be in here forever, you know. And, and I didn't know. You know, it's, the more they say it, the more I believe in it. It is true, but a jury can decide different. Yeah, that's true. And uh, so, They don't have a set law. They yeah. should. <laughs> How, you can't defend yourself? Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. That's what I was thinking. I was in there. I was like, man, wait. if you guys were there with me. You I'm going to get like, shot and can I call the cops? Uh. Yeah. You have to wait until you're like right. dead to you know, right. defend yourself pretty much in Oregon back then. And so, uh, you know, that's, that's just what I was told. And, uh, and I, I just had no other option but to fight it. And uh, I fought it and inevitably was granted bail. Um, How much is your bail? That's crazy. It was a quarter million dollar bail. Wow. And my mom had to borrow money from her boss. You got bailed 000. out on a quarter million? Yeah, twenty-five. That's gangster. Well, but it wasn't that easy because no, I was not. out on bail for the felony marijuana sales and trafficking charge. So, oh, like, super. it was a huge mess. But somehow, basically, when I was granted bail by Judge uh, Linda Bergman, I, I was—I made history at that point. Like, the—I was staying in Inverness at the time, and they took me back there, and it had reverberated throughout the entire like county jail at the time because it was—it was pretty big news. You know, a lot of people kind of knew what I was in there for, and. Um. It, it was kind of a weird aura then, because at the time I thought there was nothing going on, and uh, you know I, I, I didn't think I had any action. And then all of a sudden, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. You know, hold on, with that light, we gotta take a little break. No problem. So we're gonna get right back. This is good though. Yeah. 
CPA dudes, where accounting is never boring. Their price is not based on time. Instead, customers decide what to pay them. They don't charge you for sending invoices, phone calls, emails, texts, or meetings. They just get the damn job done. Find them at cpadudes.com slash startup radio. Tell them Dave and Lad sent you, and we'll send you a very special surprise. Seriously, we will. Today's episode of the Felony Inc. podcast is brought to you by Publicize, a deconstructed PR subscription service which generates effective visibility for your business. Publicize handles all communications with the media and any content required to do this, such as press releases, editorial pitches, etc. And they offer a wide range of PR products and abilities out of which you can construct the PR package right for the future of your business. Welcome back. Um, Lad, I love hearing your voice. I miss you, buddy. I'm going to um, call you later today. I know you're not even listening, dirtbag. <laughs> anyway, back, so we got Dick Hennessy in the studio right now talking about um, his stuff. So um, if you're listening, um, kind of pick up where you left off. Bro. Okay, yeah, no problem. So basically, uh, as far as I knew and as far as I was concerned, I made history when I was granted bail. And then it was a whole huge process of even getting out on bail after that because of my drug charges, you know, simultaneously. And, of course, the DA is going to fight that tooth and nail. And uh, it took months, uh, and then I was finally able to get out. Uh, I got on close street supervision. They weren't used to having someone with the charges that I had, so they had to kind of revise their system a little bit. And I was able to stay at my dad's house, and I was able to get out. Um, after that, I was on house arrest for, I mean, I did over 100 days in county. And I was bouncing back from Lane County to, to you know, Justice Center and Inverness. And when I was in Lane County, I was in Max 1 because they had no idea what to do with my, the severity of my charges. And then I was out on bail and out on house arrest, essentially, and able to fight my case. And uh, it took about two and a half years after that before I finally went to trial. Wow. Yeah. And so uh, around that time, right before then, uh, the DA offered me an extremely lucrative offer. You know, essentially, I was looking at 25 to life, and she offered me seven years. And that's something anyone would... And my position would jump all over, right. typically. Uh, my issue with that was that I, I thought about it, and I was like, I don't think, if I, if I take seven years, I don't want to have to go to bed every night in jail, you know, and OSP or whatever, and in the back of my mind, wonder, what if? What if? No, exactly. Because I knew you didn't in my it. heart, I mean I, I mean, I knew that I acted in self-defense. I knew I wasn't guilty of murder, but I just... I'd never been through anything like this before, so I didn't know how it would translate. I didn't trust the judicial system. I didn't no. trust the government. I knew that much, but it was really my only option. So just filling the case that I had, uh, understanding that there's a reason that the judge granted me bail and released in the first place, I knew that I had a sporting chance. So I just fought it. You know, I put my balls on the table, and I took it to trial. And uh, instead of going to trial with jury, I opted for a judge trial, which oh, wow. is never done. Wow. But that's how confident I was in the case. And I knew that... The DA at the time was, you know, young, attractive, you know, Kirsten Snowden, and I knew mm. she could sway a jury, you know, with the short skirts and all mm-hmm. that stuff and the, and the talk, but I knew she couldn't sway a judge like that. So it had to be on the books for real, you know, like all factual evidence to sway a judge. And so I took that gamble, which was another gamble, and it paid off. Uh, I was obviously found not guilty after a seven-day trial. And yeah, um, Juries are so unpredictable. Exactly. And, um, and... You know, big shout out to my lawyers, Steve Lindsay and John Neidig, uh, you know, some of the best attorneys I've ever known in my life. And I'm still really close with them, at, you know, right now. 
And so I was acquitted uh, February 2007. And then um, at that time, you know, I didn't know what to do at all. You're like, damn, oh, yeah. yeah, all my, all Where's my the champagne <laughs> bottles. <laughs> you know, like all my clothes that I had amassed in my drug dealing career were out of style. All the money I had was spent they on smelled like mold. Yeah, and the, my engine rotted out of my car. You know, I, had, I, I was just so discombobulated and had no idea what to do. And I had a vision. Um, basically, you know, I was always into the strip club industry. I'd been involved in, since 2000. And I uh, was a huge fan. You were a DJ originally. Uh, no, I was a I was actually a rap artist and producer. Oh, okay. Yeah. And um, can we bring that back? I think we'd like to hear Dick Hennessy. <laughs> we can bring it back. I don't rap anymore, but I can tell you. I want to be your manager. I can regale you in stories about okay. <laughs> rapping. But uh, you know, at the time, I had that experience. I was comfortable. I had my presence. Uh, I was you know comfortable with being on stage. I was comfortable with uh, talking to people and interacting. And most importantly, I was comfortable with promoting myself. So at the time, I saw that Portland was the strip club capital of the United States. But there was no one you could point the finger at and be like, that's the guy. You know, there was a lot of club owners. There was a lot of bouncers and just people in the industry that were real popular and that had a lot of women and or were friends with celebrities or had money, whatever it was. But no one encompassed the entire industry. And I saw there was a, there was a really big void for that. And, it, and whoever wanted it the most, it was there for them. It was just it was wide open. So I don't just went out and got it. Yeah, and well, you know, it took a little. <laughs> it was a little more difficult than just going out and well, getting it. But uh, I saw at the time, I, could, I felt confident that I could do it, and I saw an opportunity for it, and I went, out, I went out and took it because I still, I, I, I had gotten, uh, I'd taken a, a deal, a, a plea on the marijuana charge, and got three years probation and like sixty days uh, jail. So that was a felony. Time served. No, no. You had to go back and jail well, time. The crazy thing is I went back when I was on house arrest. So I went down there to Lane County with an ankle bracelet on. Mm -hmm. And they didn't know what to do with me. So they tried to get me to do a road crew. Yeah. But I didn't have anywhere to stay down there. So I was like, you know, I, I, man, hey, I'd love to do road. You know, I was in the fishbowl down there. And then I was like, I'd love to do road crew. I'll be, yeah, yeah I'll the forest do whatever camp, you want. Forest work camp next door, you could lodge there and then do road crew, right? Yeah, I was totally down. And then all of a sudden, because I didn't live down there and where I was staying on house arrest was in Portland, they were like, oh, you can't do it. And the crazy thing is, they were like, you can't do it. Uh, we're just going to release you. So they let me go without letting my PO know at the time and, you know, the close street supervision people. I was literally just in the streets in Eugene at night, like by myself with an ankle bracelet on with no money. And, <laughs> and was, you know, my, I didn't have a cell phone back then. And, uh, you know, it was just craziness. So at the time when I got, when I beat everything, I was still a felon. And I couldn't get a job. You know, my mom wanted me to get a job at Fred Meyer, but that wasn't going to happen. They wouldn't hire me because of a marijuana <laughs> judge, which is ironic. So basically, <laughs> I started doing the strip club stuff. Uh, my, I had a friend that was a legendary DJ at the Boomer Room back then, Taiwan. And he let me fill in for him. And immediately, I already had the vision and the idea of what I wanted to do, which was be the best strip club DJ ever. But the problem with that was... In Portland, there's a relatively low ceiling, so you could hit that real high, but you're not going to make six figures like you would in a major market like Houston or Atlanta or Miami. So I realized that relatively quick, no matter how big I got and how cool of a DJ I was, there was going to be no light at the end of the tunnel, no money, no pot of gold at the end of rainbow. So I had to kind of um, figure out another method, which was inevitably event promotions, because event promotions are essentially infinite. And it's as big as you want to make it and as far as you want to take it. And so, you know, 11 years ago, I kind of came up with that concept and transitioned, began to transition from strip club DJing to strip club event promotions. And then since then, 
I now have a complete monopoly on every major strip club promotion in the state of Oregon. That's awesome. Thank you. That's incredible, actually. Making moves. Jordan, you got any questions you want to ask Dick? Um, so what kind of, I don't know, what kind of events do you do? Like, <laughs> just like all different types, I guess? Like, or So uh, I have a bunch of competitions which have been annualized. Can, I, can I step in there, Dick? Yeah, please do. Just pussy events. I'm <laughs> 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 no, just kidding. Um, so last night I wrapped the seventh annual Best Breast of the West contest. Best Breast of the West. It's my Western okay, team yeah. breast competition. You know, it's pretty, it's pretty much the most vanilla of competitions. A lot, a lot of lucrative marketing and branding and, um, you know. In January, I'll be having the uh, Pirates of the Care Booty Competition, which is a pirate theme booty contest. I do Miss TNA, Motor Booty Competition. And my favorite. <laughs> the Vagina Beauty Pageant. Well, that, and, well, yeah, that one too, but the oh, Ink yeah. and Pink. Oh, Ink and Pink, yeah. Yes. Yeah, Murder Ink. And, yeah, uh, Ink and the Pink. Yeah. I've also consolidated with Exotic Magazine, so I do other events as well, which is Ink and Pink, uh, Pull Erotica, which is the biggest pole competition on the West Coast. I've heard of and that. And then... Yeah. Coming up, Miss Exotic Oregon, which is essentially Miss Nude Oregon, which is the biggest event of the year, which is coming up. Uh, do I get to be a judge? You do, of course. <laughs> I always drop them. I always, I'll rest up, okay? <laughs> yeah, please. There's plenty of days. you got plenty of time <laughs> okay. to rest up and do it. But um, I also do uh, a bunch of other events, parties, things like that. The major thing that I do, which is ironic, um, the Vagina Beauty Pageant, I just wrapped 10 years and completely successfully. And uh, it, it's just continuing to grow every year exponentially. Mm. But... um. Ironically, the biggest thing that I do, uh, which I never saw coming, was the strip club haunted house. Haunted house. So I do. That's coming up. Yeah, right. I do the world's only strip club haunted house. It's coming up on the fifth year. And I wow. Buy free tickets for you guys. VIP tickets. Ooh, VIP. What's right. that? What's VIP entail? <laughs> VIP entails not waiting in line. <laughs> oh so yeah. That's a, and that's a big deal if you go on the wrong night because that line is around the block. Oh wow. yeah, So, yeah, let's talk about that a little bit. I'd love to. Um, Go. Okay. <laughs> so essentially, um, it's, I don't know if you've been to Spice before, but it's in Old Town, Portland. It's on 2nd and Cooch. They still have the uh, steak and lobster on Friday. Oh, yeah. Friday night. Every night. Every Friday night. Steak and lobster, nine 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 special. You can't beat it. They actually lose money on that steak and lobster special. So if yeah. you go there, they're actually paying you to be in there. I, I always order two of them. Yeah, that's a good idea. <laughs> but... You know, it was uh, it was the only strip club at the time I knew that was two stories. And when you went, they opened up the two story finally, and it was super creepy up there. It's an old building, old architecture. Which one is it? Spice. Okay. Yeah. Spice China downtown. Town. Second, China. yeah, right in Old Town, right, right, in essentially close to Chinatown. Like. Pretty much the best club in Portland. I, I, I'm, I'm not going to argue with or that. Club no. Rouge or something. I don't know. Really. <laughs> Spice, how, Spice how is one of mine. Like how do you know about these clubs? My ex was a stripper. Oh. oh actually. Right, hey. Yeah. That's great. I think I got a number. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I, when they opened the upstairs up, I was like, man, this is super creepy up here. This would be perfect for like a haunted house party, though. I had no idea it was actually going to be a real haunted house. At the time, I just wanted to kind of do a haunted house type fun party where people dressed in costumes i did prizes we did drink specials you know with dry ice shit like that Hard but themed yeah but inevitably i got connected with uh you know, i was trying to do it year after year and they kept saying no no we don't want to do it we don't want to do it we don't want to do it but i got in there with miss exotic oregon <laughs> and did business there and then it was successful and they saw that i wasn't like a weirdo or anything like that so it kind of opened the door mm. and when it opened the door um the owner of Spice, Matt Doss, kind of saw eye to eye with me and was like, okay, I kind of believe in what you're doing. And then started pushing me. And then I got the owner of Fright Town at the time, which was Dave Heffrey, who's a legend in the haunted house community in Portland. 
he actually came and advised us and, and went out of his way to help us out. That's cool. Yeah, and gave us a ton of information and connections and stuff like that, just right off the bat. So all of a sudden, we went from just a little haunted house party to a legitimate haunted house. And I saw that, you know, I had the work ethic in me, but I saw that Matt Dass, the owner of Spice, had the work ethic in him. So we started pushing each other more and more, and then we created something incredible, which I never thought possible when we did our first strip club haunted house, and it was a huge success. And then we've been able to replicate that year after year and make it bigger and better every year. It's kind of spending to put that on, isn't it? Oh, it's a huge undertaking. Like, people don't understand. When you think about haunted houses, like, you have no idea until you really no, get into I the can business. Imagine. For a good haunted house, I mean. Yeah, and, and even if it's the best haunted house in the world, and you spend all this crazy money, and you have the best actors and the best designs, if the fire marshal comes in and is like, no, it's done. So everything is over. So pl- it's, plus, even if you have the best Halloween... Or haunted house or whatever, there's still no titties. <laughs> That's exactly right. There's and no uh, titties at your haunted house. Got to see you. But I think we're gonna start to send, set trends here. You know, the first year actually picked up huge. It was on Fox 12. It was on Maxim. It was on NPR. It, we had a major like. Well, I mean, it's the world's only strip club haunted house. So. How much does it cost for a ticket? So this year uh, at General Missions 18, you can get pre-sale tickets online for cheap. Stripclubhauntedhouse.com. Uh, also, VIP tickets right now are going for thirty dollars. And um, that'll get you to the front of the line. Front of the line. The VIP line, though. I mean, you can't put more value on anything more than time. Yeah. <laughs> That's the most valuable thing. It is the most valuable thing. Yeah. Don't waste it. No. So are the, uh, are the actors the strippers, actually? Yeah. So um, we actually have, the, every year, you know, we have great design, great theme. Everything comes together really nice. But what really makes the house is the actors. So we have, obviously, it's a strip club haunted house, so we have a ton of strippers in there, and there's nudity and all that stuff. But we also have, you know, sometimes classically trained actors in some of the roles. And uh, that's, in my opinion, some of the most memorable parts of the house, because you never know what to expect. Okay. Haunted house it is. (laughs) I can't wait. I love, Halloween's my favorite. Um, So, yeah, I'm pretty excited about that. So, So you got the haunted house. This is a big deal. So, yeah. Is that the biggest thing? I mean, well, I, got, then, I, mean I got chills when you're explaining it. You know, oh, this is going to be cool. Yeah, ironically, uh, you know, I've done the vagina badge in 10 years now. Like, completely successful. I have to ask you, do you ever get tired of looking at vagina? I, n- I never do. <laughs> you know, I never do. Uh, it started when I was a kid. Like, I've always been infatuated by women. <coughs> do you ever go like, women. that's the best vagina I've ever seen, ever? I mean, this. And then, like, the next minute, you go, well, no, that one is. <laughs> Wait. I mean, that's, yeah. yeah. But, you know, that's the thing about vaginas. They're all unique and and in their own way. Well, it's, it's like that's the best snowflake I've ever seen ever. You know, like right. no matter what, if you're into snow, like you're going to love them all. Right. And that's how I feel personally. Like, I love it. That's I yeah. I get it totally. My girlfriend didn't get it, but <laughs> <laughs> appreciation is not, you know, just appreciation is something. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know what I'm trying to goes, say. Yeah, it goes a long way. Yes. Yeah. Okay, I have to ask you this. Okay, so now you've created your own you got your niche thing, you've done this, and, and you've been doing this over a, uh, a, um, a few years now, and you know, you're pretty successful. You have the Vagina Mobile, you got, you know, you're known around town, and you know, if you promote the events, your promoted events are well known. Your promotion's incredible. Um, so, I mean, do you make a lot of money in the promotion doing all this, or? Um, I'm actually pretty comfortable off it. it pretty, you know, but it, it wasn't always like that. No, you know, I can imagine. And at first, it'd be like scraping for money and stuff like that. Well, the but the crazy thing is, you know, the industry is so political, you know, which is why I have no competition, which is why I have a monopoly, because it's essentially like an invisible minefield. So let's say you, Mark, wanted to compete with me and start doing events. 
there's so many different parameters and different variables that you, you, you won't even understand before you begin that you just, the majority of people are set up for failure from the beginning. So that's, see, that's the problem. If I want to do that with that one person, <laughs> I could do it. Uh, tattooing is a lot like that, you yeah. know, tattooing. So coming from out of nowhere, downtown Portland with a tattoo shop, it's like, I guess I stepped on someone's toes. I mean, there was no other shops around me, but the tattoo industry is very much the same like that. It's yeah. like invisible minefield. Yes. Yeah, you know, no, no matter how big I get, it's always just a big house of cards, you know, it could yeah. come tumbling down at any time, especially in this era, you know, it's super anything anywhere. Yeah. It's true, but the adult industry, there's even more scrutiny about, and uh, there's more, you know, you have to really be on top of your stuff. And honestly, if, I, I just feel like everything put me in place to be successful in this one kind of field of work, in this one, you know, my, I almost feel like it's my destiny in a way, because everything I've went through, you know, I suffer from PTSD and anxiety a lot, and I, keep, I feel like I, I deal with it because it keeps me on the straight and narrow. I feel like without that, I would easily be susceptible to doing drugs or partying all the time, or hanging out all the time, and uh, because uh, I'm put in this position, I'm just, really, I, all I do is drink tequila and smoke weed, and then I just work all the time. And the more I work, and the more I, you know, I travel and stuff like that, the more good things occur, the luckier I get, essentially. So, I mean, you put in a lot of hours. You don't have no set hours. I mean, I can imagine, yeah. owning a shop, um, I'm there every day, pretty much. I work every day. I never get a break. Every once in a while, I'll, I'll get a wild hair up my butt and take a day off. <laughs> Just so randomly, but yeah. Yeah, my office is my house. Even in the summertime when I'm at the pool, I'm working. Emails, text you messages, phone calls. Yeah. You never invite me over? <laughs> you come over and talk. I love pools. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, like, it's just, it takes that, in, in my opinion. You know, it's easy to get distracted. It's easy to let things get distracted, you know, especially with relationships and with uh you know, everything in this day and age. Very easily, yeah. Yeah. This industry is just full of distractions. And if you're able to center yourself and just stay focused, like... And, and that's why I say, you know, me doing the, the 10 years, wrapping up 10 years successfully with the Vagina Beauty Pageant, that's the biggest accolade that I have in my career because yeah. that's a statement in itself of my consistency yeah. and my, my, my desire, you know, the work ethic and, you know, just the drive to want to succeed and be great. I mean, that's, I think it's some kind of DNA or something that certain people have as far as the work ethic and the entrepreneurship or, you know, because um, I, I don't think, I don't expect anybody that I work with, I won't do anything I wouldn't expect them to do or vice versa or whatever, but, you know, it's like, <clears throat> nobody wants to do it. No one wants to work harder. It's funny. It's clock it's in and clock out. Like the more um, you need to work hard in Portland, because you need to work hard now to pay rent. Yeah. The less people right. want to work hard. Right. It's kind of a weird effect. Yeah. People just get content and in their zones, you know. They think yeah, as long as you're comfort, yeah. comfortable. Well, that's as long good, as you're that's good for them. Yeah. I'm fine with that. That's fine. I just, I just want to, you know, I think my drug of choice is um, entrepreneurship or working or, you know, ideas or, you know, stuff like that. I'm, I love it. Yeah, I agree completely. Yeah. Okay, let's take a quick break now. That's good, Dad. Cut on <laughs> Support for today's episode comes from our friends at Ruby Receptionists. At Ruby, they've mastered the art of turning rings into relationships. Their team of remote receptionists answer all of your calls live as if they're right there in your office. And with Ruby's mobile app, you easily control just how they screen, transfer, and take your messages. Start setting your business apart today. Visit callruby.com slash startup radio to sign up or better yet, call them at 833-861-8100 and use promo code startupruby. Tell them Dave and Lad sent you and you get a $150 credit. 
All right, Dave and Lad. Miss you guys. <laughs> Shout right. out to Dave and Lad, um, who created this podcast, which is very inspiring. Um, it inspires me. I'm blessed to be uh, a host here. So, anyway, you now Dick. Mark. <laughs> Come on, keep rolling. I oh, okay. So, yeah. I mean, you got a lot of stuff to talk oh, about. I Everything talk, you said is awesome. forever. Yeah. I know, I love it. Yeah, so. If you have any questions, just chime in, but I'll keep talking. Okay. Uh, so, basically, you know, I just wrapped up the best breast of the West. We have Miss Exotic Oregon coming up next week. Starts on uh, the 6th, I mean, the 5th of October, Saturday at Club Sinrock. That's Miss Nude Oregon. It's the biggest event for the adult industry every year. Um, so, is that a whole West Coast deal? Or? Yeah. Yeah, it's the oh, biggest in the West Coast for really? sure. Really? In Portland, because Portland, Oregon is a um, strip club capital of the United States. And, um, and you know, in Portland, we have a lot more liberties and stuff like that. Like, I've been all over, and uh, by far, Portland is more just comfortable with strip clubs. You know, it's not like a negative thing. You'll see strip clubs in regular neighborhoods. Um, for instance, Dancing Bear, you know, I've, I've just wrapped up an event there. I have another one coming up in uh, January. It's right on a Mac stop. I used to have a Dancing Bear shirt. Uh, yeah. a little. It's one of my favorite <laughs> logos. Yeah, yeah, yeah Iconic cool. yeah, Portland strip club. But, yeah. you know, and you don't see that other, you know, other places, there's no synergy within strip clubs. Like here, I feel like clubs kind of work together and, you know, we're all in it kind of like for the same purpose and like a team. You know, I'm sure there's, you know, it's business, so there's still people like competing with each other. But it's just, uh, it's unlike anywhere else, in my opinion. And yeah, so, we got the Acropolis, which is world known for their steaks. I go there to eat. <laughs> <laughs> so my whole thing is, I, you know, I wake up every day and I work really hard at this. And um, the reason why is because I genuinely feel like, in, in, you know, my actions improve the quality of life for everyone in Portland in terms of the adult industry. And that's really powerful motivation um, because I feel like without me, I, sometimes I wonder, you know, because I'm doing so many events and benefiting so I many think people. You're right. Like I, 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 I get worried, you know, what happens if something happens to me? You know, I don't think anyone's going to pick up this torch. And I think that a lot of people that, you know, there's a lot of cool things happening in, this, in, in the industry, but I don't think anyone really cares about it that much, you know, other than what's just specifically going to benefit me, you know, and, and I really try to look out for other people. Uh, yeah, that's good. That's good. Yeah, a lot of people are just like, that's all they care about. Oh, yeah. What's going to benefit them. Exactly. They don't see the big picture. That's human nature, but they don't realize the more you give, the more you get. I was just saying that the other day. Yeah, it's the biggest, biggest gift you can do is give somebody something, and, the, and knowing how they feel getting something genuine is priceless. Yeah, you don't I would give it all away. <laughs> exactly. They don't, you don't realize that when you're a kid, and they tell no. you it's better to give than to receive. No, they think you're full of but shit, and you're what stupid. They, yeah, what they don't tell you oh, is... Oh, this old man, he's stupid. <laughs> give that shit away. I, I want that shit. <laughs> yeah, it, what they don't say is the reason it's better to give than to receive is because you get way more after you give it's a it's a weird karmic law of the universe absolutely um, i don't you know and, and all that stuff's real um give it away yeah <laughs> it's weird it's magic i swear to god it's like sometimes i lose focus at because i'm working so hard and i think so i go oh man i haven't done anything for charity or i've done an event that benefits somebody else so I, in fact this is reminding me right now that um i need to do something yeah it's never too late to do something never you know, too positive late. and help someone out yeah. it'll always be appreciated it never goes out of style Giving. <laughs> okay, I keep going, Dick. All right, hey, I'll keep going. <laughs> I know. Uh, I can't think. Yeah, what are so, your future plans? Oh, okay, that's a yeah, great question. Vision, Thank you. The big vision. <laughs> so, you know, people ask me a lot of time, what are you going to do? Then, you know, and I have a couple big visions. I mean, ultimately, every event that I do, oh, whether yeah, it's the Vagina okay. Pageant or the Strip Club Haunted House, my ultimate goal is growth. And, you know, I'm, I'm like a shark in that way. I feel like when you grow, you, I mean, when you lack growing, when you stop growing, you die. That's right. So continuous growth on everything that I'm doing, everything I'm building, and then inevitably having my own club and turning all the energy and the momentum that I've built inward and then just having a benefit everything and then taking that club and then franchising that formula. 
That's a great idea. And that's that's kind of the end the end game for I me. I can see that happening. Yeah. Yeah, I can see it happening too. Now, you know, because you're in the position, you know, you're well respected. Uh, everyone knows what you're doing. You're good at what you do. Yeah, let's yeah. do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm down. But okay. uh, you know, and honestly, the landscape of the strip clubs in Portland is changing so rapidly. You know, it's going to be a while until that happens. But it's really interesting to see what's going on right now, just with you know new clubs opening up, new laws, new situations, stuff like that. Is there any new laws or new things going on that we need to be aware of? Or? No, no, not at all. I mean, the main one is, uh, which I don't think is going to ever affect us up here, um, but in California they passed the law where dancers get minimum wage. And okay. so on paper that sounds good if you're a dancer that's not making money. Yeah. Right. But the reality of it is that if you're a dancer that's not making money, you're not going to get paid minimum wage. They're just going to yeah. fire you. What? So, yeah, they're just going <laughs> to fire you. Yeah, 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 that that law makes no sense. Now I just thought yeah. about it. You're going to get minimum wage. I bet they get tips too. Yeah, but then they have to pay out, tip out horrendous amounts in com- comparison to what they would normally tip out with no minimum wage. Because the clubs have to recap and make money and be profitable. Yeah, there's bartenders, security guards, like, yeah, just servers <laughs> and yeah, got to tip out everybody pretty much. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's rough. They got to work hard for their money. Yeah, indeed. But you know, luckily, uh, I feel like Oregon. You know, because we have so many strip clubs per capita. I feel like people, you know, we have a lar- larger voice, a louder voice with stuff like that. So yeah, wasn't there something in the legislature just recently? I don't know. They they attempted. That's what they tried. But it, I mean, it was in and out because you know there's so much. It's such a thriving part of the industry here and the economy. You know, you don't want to do anything to rock that. Boat. You don't want to rock it. Yeah, no. everything. I mean, everyone's got their hands in it in terms of you know video poker and you know alcohol reps, things like that. Right. The video poker and the alcohol are huge. Yeah, absolutely. Two of the biggest vices. Yeah, I quit. Yeah. <laughs> and and real estate, you know, one of the biggest vices of all time right now in Portland. Oh yeah, so, that, you know what? You're so true. That is a vice now. Yeah. I swear. Absolutely. I want some. <laughs> How do I get me some? <laughs> real estate addict. I yeah, would love to be. I guess. <laughs> but yeah, basically, you know, in a nutshell, I just want to promote the strip club haunted house one more time. Oh yeah. Um, it's, sure. This year is uh, every year we have a different theme. We've done a Dick Hefner's haunted. Strip Club Mansion, which was a play on the Playboy Mansion. I know. We've done a Strip Club Time Machine, which is kind of like Back to the Future. Uh, we did last year was Dicky Wonka, Honda Strip Club Factory, you know, which <laughs> record attendance and a huge success. But this year we're doing a '80s '80s thing, iconic '80s horror movie thing, which I think is oh, going to just nice. oh, that's perfect. Yes. Oh man, I'm I'm really excited about this year, and we, we're actually just about to release our first. Full-length movie. It's only 10 minutes, but it's the longest movie I've ever done. It's going to be on YouTube. Just YouTube search, Strip Club Haunted House 5, and you can find it. It's about to be, uh, we're doing a grand release October 1st, but you can see the trailer right now on my Instagram or by searching Strip Club Haunted House 5. On YouTube? And YouTube, yeah. Awesome. Or or at the website, stripclubhauntedhouse.com. So which one's better, stripclubhauntedhouse.com? (laughs) <laughs> either either one is good as long as you see it uh, I'm really proud of it SL Films did it it's incredible work I feel like we're both and they've done the last couple of videos too promotional videos but I feel like we're both evolving at the same pace and uh, something really magical is happening right now so cool. I think you'll like it Mark this is good timing huh yeah it's perfect timing podcast uh, haunted house perfect <laughs> timing absolutely <clears throat> hey, do you have an Instagram or anything like that oh absolutely uh, my Instagram is at DJ Dick Hennessy also I have a Facebook Dick Hennessy Twitter at DJ Dick Hennessy, and you can check out all my antics and things that I have going on. And uh, yeah, feel free to follow me. And if you have any questions, hit me up anytime on the DMs. Yeah, yeah, he does. He answers his stuff. That's something about a, a good business person to be yeah. able to 
answer their phone or their websites or stuff like that. That's, a, that's something that well, I try, you, you got to be good at. Yeah, I try to be like a man of the people. I consider myself like the mayor of the adult industry. So, you know, I like I'm that. shaking hands, kissing babies. I'm doing everything I can, no matter who it is. Anyone from any box of life, like I'm super humble and I'm super approachable. So you can come up to me anytime, take a picture, talk to me, uh, you know. Right hang out, get a drink, whatever. You know, I'm 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 out there all the time. So. Yeah, yeah. He's basically light, lightweight famous. I try. <laughs> the biggest celebrity had. I really try to do it for Portland. I love Portland to death. You know, it's the city I grew up in, and uh, you know, I'll die here. And anything I could do to improve the quality of life in Portland, I'll, I'll sacrifice everything I have for that. It's pretty cool. That, well, not me so much, but I live here now. But I was from Eugene, but living here and just this is a place where everybody on the face of the earth wants to move to yeah <laughs> it's crazy and before it wasn't like that before no. it was like a hidden gem in the northwest like it was uh, it's, all about it's, Seattle it's and, still a gem yeah <laughs> I agree it's, it's still a gem it's got a little more exploited than, than it was but uh, I got the traffic thing figured out now it's like <laughs> go to the slow lane because these guys are all trying to go in the fast lane you go to the slow lane and just boom just go oh, by yeah. yeah absolutely that was on point yeah <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, um, we'll wrap this up. Had an awesome show. Thank you, Dick. Um, we'll be seeing you at the Haunted House for sure. Yeah, I appreciate that. Looking forward to it. All right. And everybody, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. You're listening to the Startup Radio Network. Listen, learn, launch. 10% of our gross revenue goes directly to women entrepreneurs in developing countries around the world through Kiva's microfinance program.